Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Quadcast. I am John McAlevey. And for those of you new to us here, this is a podcast mainly for those who, like me, have had their lives affected by a spinal cord injury, but is really for anyone who just wants to be inspired. Think of the Quadcast as your 30 to 45-minute session of OT and PT for the soul. Welcome back. We took last week off, but today's episode will be well worth your wait. My featured guest today has faced adversity since she was two years old. However, the spinal cord injury she endured has not stood in her way for one minute. Quite the contrary, she has taken her many talents to the highest of heights in show business, from Hollywood to the Broadway stage. With her appearance today, I have totally outkicked my coverage guest-wise. The theme of this week's edition is, The Show Must Go On. It is a phrase in show business, meaning that regardless of what happens, whatever show has been planned still has to be staged for the waiting patrons. Now, before I bring the curtain up on today's star attraction, let me provide a bit of background because we have a lot in common when it comes to acting and singing. Actually, I'm totally kidding. We have nothing in common, but hear me out. The year was 1985, and I was a junior at Milburn High School. My dear friend Jim White implored me to try out for the school play. Me? The school play? Not in your life. But when he explained that rehearsals were mainly weeknights and that I could get out of my house and hang with my buddies well, my interest was piqued, and I agreed to join the cast of Guys and Dolls. I only wanted to be a fringe player, though, because I was hardly a thespian. In fact, I was painfully shy. So my part was as one of the guys who was involved in the craps games, and I sang in the chorus. I did, however, have one line which I was petrified to deliver in that first showing. It was, Hey, Masterson, quit stalling and roll the dice. By that final showing, I had developed some newfound confidence, however, and my eight-word line morphed into a longer soliloquy. I had the time of my life being a part of the ensemble. I was, after all, always primarily a sports guy. Acting, singing, theater was foreign to me. Well, that was 35 years ago, and the whole experience still brings a smile to my face today. That was my first brush with musical theater. Fast forward seven years, and now I am sitting in the far recesses of the occupational therapy gym at Kessler Institute in West Orange. I was having a particularly hard time trying to fit pegs into holes on a large board, and so I was not the happiest of campers. Perhaps as a way of bringing me out of a funk, my OT at the time, Dawn Texas, said, Hey, John, take a break. I would like to introduce you to a fellow patient. Say hello to Bob Morris. Well, when I looked up from the peg-placing problems, standing in front of me was none other than the great Ben Vereen. Ever the smart Alec, I said, hello, what a pleasure it is to meet you, Chicken George. With that, a smile stretched from ear to ear on Mr. Vereen, or Morris's face, because that was the name of the character that he so well played in the tremendous television documentary Roots back in the day. I had heard rumors that he was rehabilitating at Kessler when I first arrived, but that he was using an alias. Well, I now had my proof. Not one to be starstruck or wanting to encroach on his privacy, however, I told him his secret was safe with me. Over those next few weeks, I watched him from up close and from afar working diligently to regain the amazing talents he was born with and for which he received a Tony Award nomination for Jesus Christ Superstar and ultimately won a Tony Award for Best Actor in a Musical in 1973 for the show Pippin. 
his tireless work and demand for perfection paid off as he made it back to the big stage in 1992 in Jelly's Last Jam. Ben wanted to share his triumphant return with the many friends he had made throughout his stay at Kessler, and so he scheduled a dress rehearsal for fellow patients like myself and the staff. What a treat and what a class act. All of which brings me to today's guest and show. I must say, when I told folks that I was indeed launching this podcast, there was one person they told me that I needed to have on. Don't ask me how or why she's agreed to come on with little old me today, but the great Allie Stroker is indeed here. She is an actress and singer who has appeared on television shows such as The Glee Project, movies, and on stage, where she not only became the first actress who uses a wheelchair for mobility to appear on a Broadway stage, but be nominated for and win a Tony Award. Allie is truly a spinal cord injury survivor and thriver, and she joins me right after this time out. This is my new best friend, Esther. She might look like any normal, playful puppy, but Esther's being raised to become a canine companions for independence assistance dog for a person with a disability. To get there, she needs lots of loving care and attention, plenty of exercise, and good eating habits so that she can live a long and healthy life for her future family. And she needs to spend tons of time socializing, learning basic commands like sit and stay, and taken to fun places with lots of distractions so that she can learn to cope in every situation. All of this will prepare Esther for more professional training to become a real assistance dog and a life helping a person with a disability to live more independently. Are you ready to open your heart and home for 18 months to a puppy like Esther? To find out more about becoming a canine companion for Independence Puppy Raiser or about other volunteer opportunities, visit cci.org or call 1-800-572-BARK. Raise a puppy, change a life. You can make a world of difference in the life of a person with a disability. And welcome back to the show. For those of you that have been with me from the beginning, you'll know that the music that plays at the beginning and the end of this podcast is very near and dear to me. It dates back to October 1992, when my doctor first wheeled me into the gym at Kessler, and the music played overhead was Soul Asylum's Black Gold. The lyrics that spoke to me that day and still do today are, quote, I don't care about no wheelchair. I've got so much left to do with my life, end quote. Well, I cannot think of someone who better exemplifies these lyrics than Allie Stroker. Allie, thank you so much for coming on and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So let's start right there. For our audience that does not know the beginnings of your remarkable story, please tell us the circumstances of your spinal cord injury. Uh, I was injured in a car accident when I was two, and I have a uh, spinal cord injury, and um, my level is C7, T2 incomplete. And uh, it's my kind of relationship to it is that it's the only thing I've ever really known. I don't remember my life before the accident. So my disability feels very normal to me. And, you know, I'm aware that my body is, um, you know, different than maybe most people, but it feels like mine. And so I, I, feel very fortunate to have the injury that I do. Um, it's, it's created an amazing life for me in so many ways. And, yes. um, and yeah, so that's a little bit about my, my injury. Well, I tell you, I know that, uh, after I had my injury, family support 
was immense. Family and mm-hmm. friends. I know you have a, a terrific family, and I did some research. I see that your father is also an accomplished boys basketball and football coach. He's been inducted into the New Jersey Coaches Hall of Fame. How important was it to have not only your dad, you know, behind you, but someone with that coaching philosophy to sort of push you along? Yeah, I I think it's been a huge part of my um about you know my success and my um you know myself kind of belief in in belief in myself you know my dad sort of raised us with a lot of coaching philosophies like you know never ever give up and you know all these great iconic quotes like um it's not the dog in the fight, it's the fight in the dog. And like, uh, what is another one? Characters, the ability to persist against constant opposition. You know, those were sort of like our religion growing up. And uh, my mom is super creative and an amazing advocate. So the, t- the two of them, that team, you know, really, really worked. And, uh, you know, I'm so fortunate for to have those kinds of parents and also grateful that they were so, um, you know, wanting to find solutions, not just looking at the problem. And, um, I also like have to, you know, acknowledge my community, the town that we grew up in Ridgewood, New Jersey. Um, they were just unbelievably supportive and, uh, really rallied around my family after, uh, we got hurt. Doesn't that sort of give you the wind in your sails that, that knowing that other people are out there that want the best for you and want you to recover. It just, I remember, well, I was 24 years old at the time, but I just remember the groundswell of support, you know, for myself and my family was amazing. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that, you know, I, I hope for anybody who goes through something like that, that they do have a support system, whatever it looks like. Well, I have to tell you, your father and I have something in common. I am a sports guy and have been coaching basketball. I coach at the eighth grade recreation level, a travel team. I've done it for 21 years now. And if I if I do it again this year, it will be 22 on the bench. And so a lot of what you're saying is what I tell my teams. It's funny. Um, I can not only, not only dribble a basketball, I can't even hold the ball any longer, <laughs> you know, but but it's that mindset and, you know, the boys buy in and by the end of our first or second practice, I don't even think that they see my disability. They see that we have a common goal is to to improve and to learn the game and to get better. And at the end of the day, I want to win just as much as the able-bodied guy on the other side of the court. So I know exactly Absolutely. where your father is coming from. Hey, Al, yeah. can you tell us what does E plus R equals O mean? <laughs> so this is like a, you know, my dad and I have done some speaking together, which has been really fun. And um, we use this equation, E plus R equals O, the events of your life plus your response equals the outcome. Instead of just thinking about that the events of your life will create the outcome, you have so much power in your response. And, uh, that I think has really applied to our theater and I mean, I'm sorry, our family and like, and, and me as, as a person that my response has been so important. And, and so, uh, it, it, it has changed my life. You know, you can, you can have an injury and your response to it can be, um, you know, really, tragic and, and, and really 
awful. And then, you know, you can have this injury and then move through that pain and move to a different place and, and, um, and you can have a very different outcome. Yeah. Your mind, right? Your mind can, the human spirit can take you places that you maybe don't think that it can. um, And it can certainly move mountains. Ali, I've seen uh, where you have, you you like to refer to yourself as differently, differently abled rather than disabled. First of all, I like the sound of that. Where did it come from? And have you patented it yet? Because it's terrific. Well, I, um, I think I used that a lot when I was, um, after I did Spring Awakening, which was my Broadway debut, and I was working with um, some actors who were deaf. And I sort of liked that phrase because it was an opportunity to kind of look at disability in a different way. I use it sometimes and I like it, but I, I feel a lot looser about language and identity these days that like I am all those things. And to answer your question differently, able is just looking at what kind of different abilities I have versus like dissing the abilities that I do have. Um, so I, I liked that. And, and, um, and I do like to look at where my strengths lie versus like my limitations. Like I'm very aware of my limitations physically, but, um, it's fun to see the kind of abilities I have gained because of my injury. I understand that you and your family have a house down at the Jersey Shore. We do as well. My house is in Bayhead. Where are you guys? Oh, amazing. We actually sold the house a few years ago, but um, the house was on Long Beach Island, which was um, a place that we went every summer and where I uh, was introduced to musical theater. So Long Beach Island has a very special place in my heart. You know, I love the beach and, and I love I love LBI. It's forever you know, a very special place to me. You know, I, I actually watched an interview of you where you were speaking about how you kind of got your your foray, your first foray into acting. And, and can you tell us about that? It was down at the Jersey Shore with your next door neighbor. Yeah. Yeah. I was introduced to theater um, by a next door neighbor who decided that she was going to put on a production of Annie. And she cast me as Annie. And that was just really like a a very, very pivotal moment in my life because I found this thing that I loved so much and it was my passion and my purpose. And, um, yeah, it changed my life. I love being on stage and I love to sing and I love to act and I love to dance. And, uh, and, you know, I've been doing it ever since. And how, how appropriate or, crazy is it that the the one of the main songs from that show is it's a hard knock life for us right exactly oh boy it certainly is being disabled is is a hard knock life but we make the most of of what we can so this is what was about the time when you got the acting bug tell us about what you did uh growing up and in school did you get involved in school plays absolutely i did a ton of theater in school and then um, a lot in high school and I worked, um, or I went to, um, some summer programs at Paper Mill Playhouse. And then, um, and then I went on to study drama at the Tisch School of the Arts at NYU. And that was sort of a big transition of moving to New York City at 18 and living on my own. And, um, I, I loved it so much. I just really, I really, really enjoyed my four years. It was not without challenges. You know, I was working with a lot of teachers who had never worked with anybody in a chair. So there was a learning curve and 
we had to have a lot of conversations because at first they were very concerned about me taking the dance program. And I sort of was like, this is something I know I want to do and I need to do. And, you know, they were, they were not on board with that at first, but through sort of building trust and having conversations and, and, um, you know, diving into something new for all people, for all parties involved in that, you know, it worked out really well. And I took the dance program and I did really well and it was wonderful. It was a really, a really positive experience. Did you feel ever, Allie, that you had to work that much harder than say an able-bodied person had to just to get noticed and to say like, Hey, you know, I can still do these things. Well, I think that, um, I never compare myself to like, you know, the person next to me who's not in a chair. That to me is not helpful. It's not how I was raised. So I've always just felt like I've had to work really, really hard. And anybody in this industry that I'm in, you know, and and pursuing theater and uh, film and TV and as an actor and as a singer, you have to work so hard. So I've never felt like it was harder than anybody else. I just was working as hard as I possibly could. And that was another thing that I was sort of raised around that, like, we're not going to compare ourselves to other people. We're just going to always do our best no matter what. And uh, that was, that really worked and continues to work. You know, there are there are still many challenges in my life and, you know, working hard always allows me to sleep well at night, knowing that I did my best no matter what. Sure. Sure. Now I'm not all that well-versed in how things were um, on stage and in the theater, but I can recall growing up, I did not see too many folks like us that were featured prominently in television or in films. Were there other disabled actors and actresses out there say in stage that you maybe looked up to? No. And that's a huge part of what drives me today when things get really hard, you know, is that I didn't really have any role models. I didn't have that person to look to, um, that was maybe in the same physical sort of category, whether that be disability or challenged or just simply, you know, differently abled. And so I just always felt like I, I really, really wanted to do this no matter what. So it was, you know, it really changed my life um, to to pursue this and then be the first person to do it in a chair. Yes. Now, I truly believe that our injuries do not define who we are. But how empowering is it knowing that you can inspire perhaps the next wave of Ali Strokers in this business? Yeah, it's amazing. And I, and I hope that people, maybe people that aren't even disabled, but people who feel challenged, who feel like they don't fit the mold, can, can pursue their dreams, whatever that might be. And that creating your own path is really, in my opinion, the only way. And, um, you know, there's nobody who's going to do it like you. And so, you know, go out there and, and, you know, build the path and, uh, and that sort of was was my dream and and now is my reality, which is so cool. Now, after all that hard work, you need to have a break. There's got to be a big break for <laughs> people can point back and say, you know, I can remember when. What would you consider to be your big break in the business? You know, it's so funny. I have been talking about this a lot recently, I don't ever really feel like there was one thing because there were all of these 
things that built to where I am. Um, and so, you know, going to NYU, um, you know, being, um, moving to LA and auditioning for Glee and being on the Glee project. Um, and then, um, you know, my Broadway debut during Spring Awakening, um, you know, getting opportunities to, um, be guest stars on TV shows and then, um, to be in Oklahoma and win a Tony award. I mean, all these things have been building. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm really, really, really grateful for all of the, all of the opportunities that have sort of brought me to where I am today. You touched on it. Becoming the first actress to use a wheelchair on a Broadway stage is amazing. And, you know, when you sit back and think about it, I know that that was not, you know, the goal probably because you just wanted to be the best alley that you could be, the best actress, the best singer. But that distinction, I mean, that means something. How does that feel to you? It feels amazing. And it feels like, right, if you work really, really hard and you don't give up, you know, you will see progress in your life and you will create change if that's what you're out to do. And you can achieve your dreams. You really can, but you've got to work really, really hard. Yeah. Nothing is given to anyone. And Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned the Tony Award for Oklahoma. I mean, I know probably when you go into a play, you're just trying to do your best. I mean, it's not as if you're out there trying. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know. Maybe some people are trying to win Tony Awards and trying to win MVPs of the baseball and, and the NFL and things like that. But, you know, to come away with that award at such a young age and, you know, being at it for, for a few years, it's got to be something that will stay on your mantle forever and something that you'll be able to talk about for the rest of your life. Yeah, absolutely. And it's something that, you know, I, like you said earlier, I didn't set out to do. Um, and when it was all happening, I sort of felt like, whoa, this is crazy. And, like pinch me, is this really happening to me? And then when it happened, I realized like, right, like all of these things have led me to here, you know, and I I kind of look at the award as, as sort of like a pat on the back of keep going, you know, I'm still 33 and kind of in, in sort of this amazing um, part of my career. I don't want that to just be the be the highlight, you know, the, the peak. I yeah. want to continue to do well and continue to create things that I care about and that I'm excited to share with the world. And so, um, I sort of, it reminds me to keep going and keep doing what I'm doing. You're just getting started, right, Allie? Mm-hmm, exactly. Wow. Now, what was the, what was the main thrust from friends and family and, and your fellow um, ensemble mates. I mean, what was that like? It was amazing. It was so supportive and kind and exciting. And, um, you know, I was in the middle of doing the show, so I had to keep doing the show eight times a week, which became, you know, it's a big, big job to do that, to perform that often. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, you know, so it was, it was wonderful and it gave me this amazing boost, but I also had a job to do, you know, it wasn't like, it's not like you win and then you like, aren't working, you're like going vacation, working. Yeah. No, no, no. It's not that at all. So, um, so it was, it was great and, and really exciting, really, Mm -hmm. really exciting. 
How about theater or television and movies? Do you have a preference? And, you know, what what are some of the likes and dislikes about both mediums? I love both. You know, um, theater was sort of like the beginning for me. So it sort of feels like my foundation and and I love it a lot. Um, and I also, uh, you know, I love TV and film. I think there's so many opportunities to bring really intimate stories to people in their homes through TV and film. And uh, I think you're able to like push the envelope pretty hard. Um the, you know, in theater, there are so many things at play as far as, um, you know, like space and, um, and audiences and live theater is so cool. Cause you know, every single show, no matter what is a little bit different because it's live. Um, so both just bring me a lot of, um, fulfillment and, and I love both. I really, I am determined to do both. Do you have any funny stories about maybe when you forgot a line or something where you uh, were supposed to <laughs> exit stage left and you went right or something funny like that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I have a lot of those things. Actually, one time I was um, in the middle of uh, a show doing Oklahoma. It was Farmer and the Cowman. And I like fell out of my chair in the middle of the dance. Uh -huh. And it was amazing. Like my adrenaline was pumping so hard. And like my castmate that I was dancing with, like got me right back in my chair and we like kept going. And it was like one of those moments where like you, you can almost feel like the world has stopped because it's like so scary, but then everything keeps going. And it was like, all of a sudden I was back in my chair and that was it. And we just like kept and the show. Oh, obviously it just kept going. The show must go on, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly. the theme of, uh, of today's episode. I'm calling it the show must go on. How oh, about Allie? That. What is it like to audition for a part that you really want and you go in and you think you killed it and then you ultimately find out that it's not going to you? Well, this is a huge part of any actor's sort of career is that you are constantly putting yourself out there and most of the time you don't get the job. <laughs> and, um, and that is kind of, you know, I remember when I was first auditioning, that used to be so crushing because you become kind of attached to certain things and, and really wanting certain jobs. But, you know, now uh, auditioning, I don't really, I try not to get too, attached to anything when I'm auditioning and then if it moves forward to then become a little bit more invested but to just treat each audition like an opportunity to get to perform that day and work on some new material and then I I couldn't tell you the last audition that I went on because I don't I don't like my brain has gotten good about not like holding on to stuff that had has already happened. And speaking of which, how do these opportunities come about? I mean, do you have an agent? Do you do sort of like your own um, research and see that, okay, so-and-so is going to be opening up and they're doing casting calls? How, how does someone go about auditioning four parts in uh, Broadway shows and also television? Well, there's a lot of ways to go about it. You know, I have friends that, you know, are on um, there's like these sites that you can get auditions and I specifically have, um, an agent and a manager who helped me find opportunities and connect me with people. And, uh, so that's, that's sort of how I go about things. Um, and you know, it's, 
right now it's such an interesting time because the theater is not really happening. (laughs) So, you know, not right now is more like a TV, more of recorded stuff and, and TV and film. And so that's, I think really exciting. And I sort of look at it, look at it as an opportunity, you know, to sort of diversify and look for different kinds of work and, uh, you know, but, but yeah, I, but, you know, I still audition all the time. So, and right now, most of the auditions are on, uh, you know, you take, you self tape yourself like on your phone or with a camera and then you submit them and then either you hear back or you don't, but you know, the industry is, is one where there are lots and lots of people out there going after one part and you just do your best, mm-hmm. you know, you do, you do your best and you move on. Sure. Keep, now you, you mentioned how the world has sort of changed and how Broadway has gone dark. Um, do you know of what might be next? What's around the corner? This pandemic has really uh, worked its way into everyone's lives and it's, yeah. it's shut everything down. So what, what is the latest? Have you heard anything as to when, you know, the, the curtain will be going up again? I've heard that, you know, spring um, is when shows would like to try to open again, but I don't know if anybody really knows the answer yet Yeah, because it depends on numbers and it also depends on whether or not people can sell tickets. <laughs> you know, if, if someone wants to buy a ticket right now to sit in the theater with however many people. Yes. So we'll see, you know, we'll see. But, uh, but I do know that... The producers, you know, the Broadway producers are working on it and, you know, other theaters that are not on Broadway, off Broadway or regionally. I think everyone wants to get back as soon as possible. Um, You know, it's just going to take a little bit of time. Now, Ali, I know that giving back, it seems, is something that is very important to you. In fact, Mm -hmm. I see you're the co-chair of Women Who Care, which supports United Cerebral Palsy of New York City. Please tell us about how that came about and what are some other causes that you're proud to be involved in? Yeah, well, uh, Women Who Care was this luncheon that honored women doing really incredible work in the world. And all the money went to United Cerebral Palsy of New York City. Um, And, you know, I've been involved in a lot of different. There was um, a group called Arts Inside Out that goes to South Africa every year and teaches women and children who are either infected or affected by HIV. And it's like a two-week arts program. And so I've gone to South Africa three times. And I, um, you know, I just, I, I was raised that like when you are given so much support and so much love and so much care, it's so important to give that back. And, uh, that's what I try to do. And I, I also find that, you know, I'm in an industry where it's a lot of me, 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 what am I going to get? What am, what am I going to see happen in my career? And I think it's really, really, really important to take that attention off of yourself sometimes and just look at what you can give. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is just like a huge, huge way in which I have moved through hard times is to just like take the attention off myself and put it on other people and help others. You know, that's really a healthy attitude because as you said, we are in a me, me, me world. It's, um, you know, just driving 
out the other day. Uh, I was waiting for a parking spot and I had my blinker on and I'm ready to go into it. Somebody's backing out. And of course, some Yahoo comes around the corner and just goes right into the mm-hmm. spot. You know, yeah. and I and I just thought, you know, there's a person who, who lives by the mantra, what's good for me is good for me. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, everybody else be darned. And so for you to be at 33 years old, and, and have had the success that you've had, that is really a healthy thing and it, it bodes well for um, for our generations. How about, Allie, what are you working on now? I just finished shooting a Christmas movie in Canada, which is going to air on Lifetime this Christmas. So that was really, really amazing and exciting. And, um, you know, I'm teaching tonight on Zoom for a master class. So like I'm staying busy and, um, this movie was really exciting to me. I really loved working on it and it's called Christmas ever after. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean the, the, the work I, I find myself staying busy and, you know, the projects that I'm involved with, I really care about in this movie. I'm really, really excited about. Was the Christmas movie shot before the pandemic and the lockdown? Uh, it was shot this August. So it was, the numbers were pretty low in, um, in Canada, which mm-hmm. is why they did it there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was done, it was done this past August. Very cool. So we'll be on the lookout for that this Christmas on yes. Lifetime. And how about what is the next really big goal for yourself? I mean, you've, you've blazed a trail that, that is amazing right now. Is there something that you have not achieved yet that you see out on the horizon that you want to go knock down? Um, you know, I just did this movie this past summer and I would like to do another movie. So, um, you know, I'd love to do movies and television, more TV and film. And I don't ever like to put anything too specific out there because what I have learned over the past 15 years in this career is that the opportunities that are you, that are for you come to you and it might not always be exactly what you thought. So I don't like to put anything too, too specific out there, but um, I would love to do more TV and film for sure. Mm-hmm. How about living um, in New York and New Jersey and also in California? How is that, you know, living by coastal? You've done that, I'm sure. Is that something that's uh, that you like? Yeah, it's been amazing. You know, um, you know, your environment is really important to, to, you know, how you feel about yourself and what you're capable of. And, you know, there were times that I really loved living in New York and times when I really loved living in LA. And I feel like I learned a lot about, you know, one of the things after I graduated college was I really needed to prove to myself that I could be independent, that I could be on my own, which is when I moved to LA. And that was really scary because I didn't have any family out there. Um, you know, it was just, it was a few friends. And then I, of course, like made close friends that kind of became family and felt like family. Um, and, you know, finding my independence and, you know, it was, it was really difficult at times to feel like, oh, right. A lot of the States are still not very accessible. Um, but then there were times that I just living in New York and feeling my independence and feeling like I felt like if I could do New York, I could do anything. And so in so many ways, it really provided this strength for me. Um, 
but yeah, yeah, it's been, it's been great to live in both places. And, you know, I've also lived in places where I've wanted to work, you know, I've, I've put that out there, you know, it's like, okay, I'm here and I want to work here. Let's do this. Sure. And how about travel? It sounds like travel is something that you like to do. You said you've been to South Africa a number of times. First of all, f- from some friends that uh, that I was actually with at Kessler, I'm back in for um, a little OT and PT tune-up because this lockdown has been a little rough on me. But some of the folks were saying that traveling for them with their wheelchairs is not the easiest thing in the world. First of all, have you had any issues? And tell us about the uh, your love of travel. Yeah. Um, I love to travel and I've done a lot of traveling. Um, and you know, it's, it is not always easy (laughs) to travel. Um, but, uh, I have found, I have found really, uh, kind of my, my routine and my ways of doing things. Like I don't, if I'm traveling alone, I don't pack a lot because I don't want to have to carry a lot. And, you know, you kind of have to put some faith in strangers, like (laughs) in the airports. Um, I drive, which is kind of like what I prefer. Um, and so that is, um, you know, that is, that is kind of like where I feel the most in control when I'm, when I'm traveling, which I like a lot. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I love it. I love being in new places. I love discovering new, you know, new people and, and, uh, and I love performing in, in new places. That's really exciting to me. No doubt. And Ali, last one for me. And it's a question that I ask all of, um, the folks that I have on that have that have had an SCI, uh, and I get a lot of different responses, and I, I'll tell you what my answer is, but the question is, if I could snap my fingers right now, which unfortunately I cannot do, um, <laughs> and, and you were to be able-bodied, uh, what is the first thing that you would do? And I'll tell you, the first thing for me is I would get my, uh, my phone with all my music on it, put my earbuds in and go out for a nice long run. So that's what I would do. What would be the first thing that you would do? I have no idea because I have never, I, I couldn't imagine being able-bodied. Mm-hmm. Like there's no part of me that wants to be or no part of me that could imagine being in that world mm-hmm. and in that life. So I hate to be a bummer, but I don't have an answer. No, that's great. As we said, no two injuries you know, are the like, same. Yeah. No two yeah. answers would be the same. That's, that's very cool. I never thought about it that way, but as you said, um, you know, you were two just, years old at the time, so you kind of didn't really, um, no, didn't really know a no. world without that. So that's, no, I mean, it's scary to me. That's scarier. Yes. Oh, you no know, doubt. That is, you know, like for somebody who's able-bodied, that might be scary. It might be scary. The idea of becoming paralyzed and in a wheelchair might be really scary to them. To me, like being in another body and being able to feel my entire body and being able to go do things differently than I do them now feels, you know, I'm not like, you know, terrified of that, but I, I, it's not something that I want. Sure. I love I really, I just feel so lucky. I have such a beautiful life and I can't imagine being any other way. Awesome. What a great answer. That's a good way uh, to, to look at a, a situation that uh, that I hadn't looked at it that way before, but I completely, yeah. I totally hear you and I, and I see your perspective on that. And I thank just want to thank you so much, Ali Stroker, for of joining course. me today. 
And thank you for having me. Yeah. Continued success. We'll be looking for you on the big stage, on the small screen, and hopefully the big screen, as you said. Thank you so much, John. It was great chatting. Well, it's not every day you get the chance to speak with a Tony Award-winning actress. My sincerest thank you to Ali Stroker for joining me this week. And be sure to be on the lookout this holiday season for her TV movie, Christmas Ever After, airing on Lifetime. Exciting news here for the kid. I am now gainfully employed. Yes, I will be working part-time as a peer counseling coordinator at my home away from home, Kessler Institute. I appreciate the opportunity to try and help others through their journey because I know firsthand it is not easy. That said, the quadcast may just become a bi-monthly podcast. Stay tuned, however, as I should be fine-tuning my schedule in the not-too-distant future. Speaking of schedules, is there anyone you would like me to try and get on the docket? Please feel free to contact me at my website, which is www.quadcast.org. I can use all the help, so give me a shout. Thank you again to Chris Parapesco at Sound Lounge in New York City. Once again, I am John McAlevey, and I thank you for your time. I don't-